Welcome to Teachers in the Dungeon. I am Tom Gross, and you may hear in my voice that some of those rascally goblins, they dropped a uh, some poison spores in our area of the dungeon here, and so I've picked up a little bit of a respiratory. So I do apologize for the raspy voice and if I crack a little bit there. And so I just wanted to get that off my chest right away here at the top of the show. Sadly, Dan is not joining us tonight. He is busy chasing those rascally goblins and trying to find them and give them a little slap on the back of the hand and tell them, do not do that again. But I am not alone tonight. I have a returning guest with us, a good friend that we haven't talked to in a, in a while. I would like to welcome to the dungeon. And sorry, I'm trying to clear the air here to make sure we don't have uh, any more of that poison uh, uh, spore going on here. But we've got Andrew Kaywood of Kaywood Publishing. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? I am well. It's good to have you back on. And wow, you have had a busy 2023. I'm just going to lame off a couple of things here. And just to, not that you need the reminder, but let me tell everybody what you've been up to. You've you completed a Kickstarter for your last Monsters series book, Monsters of the Dungeon. And then right after that, you pulled your customers and fans for what the next project for should be. And you gave us three choices. Is that correct? What were those three choices? Uh, two choices. Oh, two. Okay. So the choices were putting a book out, a full, complete book of our World of Mirror, our campaign setting, or starting the adventures that we plan to write. And uh, we asked people, what should we do first? Okay. And you honored their vote their vote vote counted and they voted for for the world of mir excellent excellent yeah. that's by the way that's what i voted for so it <laughs> <laughs> must have been my influence <laughs> uh no but that is that is wonderful i love that that you gave the fans and your customers a choice i thought that was a super cool piece to what you had done there I think it's really cool. They want to explore and find out and learn more about your world. So it is currently, as of this recording and the day that this releases, it is currently in Kickstarter. So tell us a little bit about how that Kickstarter has been going and what some of your goals are. Sure. So we tried something really new this time. Usually Kickstarter recommends a full month for the campaign, approximately 30 days. And we've always done that and sometimes even a few more days. But we found though that it was getting quite long, especially with the amount of competition on Kickstarter. Mm. We found that was a long period to do, the, to do the project. So we've actually cut that way down. So this one's only running 16 days. And so almost in half we cut it. And so it's gonna be over very quickly. But what we'd found is we'd got a lot of our returning backers were eager to get going. And in the first two days, 
many of them would would come on board. You know, we've had a really good start. And now that we have a shorter period, it enables us to kind of keep them keep the momentum more. And even with, you know, American Thanksgiving and Black Friday and Cyber Monday, we we still thought if we had enough momentum, we would do quite well. So we're almost funded. We're just uh, as of this recording, six percent or so to the total. Uh, however, we do have a lot of stretch goals that we want to get and make this book the best it can be. You know, right now it's about two hundred pages. It's going to have Travis's art again, who was with us for the Monster series maps, and we actually have a preview booklet too. You can look at on the Kickstarter page, and that gives you an overview of what this campaign world is like. And another big change we made is that this is like the monster book, the, the last one, the dungeon book. This is for any RPG. So it's it's not just 5e. We've made it, especially this world, because there's not that many mechanics that are world book. It's really open to any system. I love that. And so let's dig a little bit deeper into the world of Mirror and give us an idea how you envision this book finishing up. So it's it's going to be a source book, as you mentioned. So tell, give us a little bit more detail about it. You've been how long have you been playing in this world of Mirror? Because this is this is your brainchild, correct? Yeah this this started about ten years ago when I was still a teacher in the dungeon. I on my coffee breaks and lunch breaks, my classroom and my desk were covered in maps. Sometimes they were, you know, huge pieces of paper on the floor even. And I'd walk around and I started with the village and I'd, I'd started with a campaign for a group of strangers. So I didn't know how long this group was going to last, but I started with a village and it turned out to go really well. And that village after about a year became a continent. And then now after 10 years, it's become nine continents. Our groups have ventured through some of these areas, but there's also a lot that's new to them. But the great thing about it growing organically is that I could talk about a family and their kind of sordid history. And then I could trace that the roots of that family back to through their ancestors. <laughs> nice all the way to where it began. For example, there's a family in on the continent of Mir in the center of the world who brought vampirism with them to that land. Well, now that I, I can go back to the homeland where the humans started, I can go back to you know where that started, what's happened to that family since. There's two main worlds where there's humans. And in some ways, it's like the New Republic and Old Republic in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So... It, it gives that it gives that great space to develop what it has become, what it used to be, and then there's a lot of other elements to the world. So there's nine continents, and it's basically nine different worlds because they've, for lots of different reasons, they've grown organically in seclusion, and uh, people have not been traveling very much between these lands. So you really get nine worlds in one. That is that is so cool. What's what are going to be some of the unique features of Mirror that we might not or that might surprise us or really impress us when we open up the book? Sure. Well, the first one, in many ways, I think is the most unique is that it's actually a world who's actually been that's been changed by because of one man. So one wizard has altered this world forever, because the, as I said, traveling between these continents is so dangerous. 
because of the oceans, because of what's in them, these sea creatures and dragon turtles and everything you can imagine, giant sea creatures, those kind of traditional monsters. But Mir is filled with these dangerous monsters, which prevent travel between the continents. So what Oswald has done, this wizard, is he experimented with portals, which are now starting to pop up around the world. They don't always work, but there is some travel now between continents. And if these portals can be stabilized, there could be more travel. So it's enabling groups of people who've never met and factions that have never met to travel. And all of the hierarchies and all of the balance that was in Mir is now gone. And you can even travel to Feyland or the underworld or other planes. So one man really has altered a lot. And he's this these experiments he's done has also altered time and space. They're, the seismology of the land is in turmoil. The climate is in turmoil. So... <laughs> He's, he's changed everything. He knows what he's done. He is actually trying to help people who are trying to fight for the forces of good now. And so he's on, so he's on this path of redemption. Mm. So he's not like a Gandalf figure or a Dumbledore who's this saintly figure, angelic figure. He took a terrible path and you actually can learn about his family in the book and you'll find out why. But he's, he went down that and now he's trying to make amends. So in some ways, it's like Anakin has a little bit more time after he revealed himself to be Darth Vader. Oh, yes. Okay. Imagine what would have happened if he survived and then he had a life of redemption that he could still live. It's an interesting way, I think, of tying the whole world together. Usually there's much more complicated lore and it's these great factions and gods Mm -hmm. and everything. But actually, it's one man who's made all the difference. The other really, you know, the, the nine unique continents, I think, is is unusual. There's some elements of those that are quite new, like we have this evil race of snow elves who want to conquer the world. They're very militaristic, and they're bent on revenge because of what happened in their past. Uh, in some ways, they're almost like the opposite of the drow. Instead of the underworld dark elves, oh, yeah. they're the above-world light elves. So they have technology that's better than anybody else. Not super advanced, but more advanced than anybody else in this medieval kind of world. There's also a planet or a world that's more uh, Western style. And it's actually halfling cowboys battling the undead. <laughs> uh, that sounds, sounds wonderful. Yeah. So they ri- And they ride around on these boars instead of horses. And they all have sort of Western style names. So you imagine taking the hobbits and you adding a kind of Western touch to it. Mm -hmm. So there's some very unique pieces like that. And then overall, it's still classic fantasy. And that's another element that I think helps anybody who homebrews. This is actually a really good template. If you homebrew, you can use this world very easily. The other main element is the detail. So you're going to have more detail than you've ever seen. Some people are aware of the Greyhawk setting from the 80s. Mm-hmm. So in that setting, Gary Gygax, for each kingdom, he'd list, you know, the resources found, what the soldiers wear, you know, are there gems there? Are there mines nearby? What's a little bit of the history of the area? What are the trees like? What are, what, what are in the lakes nearby? So we take that to a new level because every single village, town, and city also gets that in this world. Wow, okay. Yeah. 
That's cool. I, I do remember that now that you you talk about that. I kind of forgotten about that detail that Greyhawk had. I didn't do a lot in the Greyhawk world as a kid, but I do remember my my friends having those source books and looking through them. And and yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, they even did that a little bit with Eberron, not the five E version, but the version that must have been three point five, where each of their lands. They, but I don't think it went into quite that detail that you were just talking about. So that is super cool. I love that kind of throwback, but also gives the the DM some serious resources to be able to work with and maybe draw a uh, you know some sort of adventure out of that. Yeah, I think even to the degree that you know I I remember taking the Greyhawk sauce source book off this shelf and I would sit for hours and just read and get lost in the detail in this world that was organic and things made sense because there there were economies and there were reasons why people were in places and creatures were there and resources were there. So, you know, I have that same, basically, I have that same relationship with this book now where it has that kind of detail where you learn, oh, these are the kind of fish nearby this village. Or, oh, you learn that the leader of this settlement, um, they have this relationship with another person in another settlement nearby. Uh, Oh, this is the wealthy family nearby. Oh, there's some ranches nearby. And this family's been raising these horses for several years. Um, and they get a lot of customers. So it's it even, I think somebody who even doesn't play role-playing games, I think this would be a book where you could just read and enjoy this the world. It has, like I said, some very classic elements because I love the heroic fantasy, you know, of Tolkien and, you know, many other stories. But it has some new twists on it. It has some, you know, as usual with our books, there's some humor and some Easter eggs in there as well. So uh, there might Excellent. be a few, Thanks. yeah, there might be I a was few expecting places, that. <laughs> yeah, a few place names might, you know, come back from my past. There's a few place names from where I live here in Canada. You know, there's one village where there's an elf who wrote a book that's called How to Be the Bow. So there's, there's, um, we have our little, uh, our little touch that we add as well. That is fantastic. You know, talking about all that detail and the connectedness between lands and families and things like that kind of leads me to my next question. And that is, what is what are some of the challenges of taking a world that you've been developing in your mind and on paper and maps and, you know, in probably 10 dozen different places and source yeah. books and, you know, notebooks and things like that. What's the yeah. challenges of taking that world and putting it into a format that other people can consume, understand, and use? Yeah, that's a really good question. And right away, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that I have a notebook in the car. I have one downstairs in the living <laughs> I room. I have, you know, a dozen in the office here. And then Eventually, I just got to this point where I have these big, I have this big notepad that's really for mapping or art. And I just use that so that I can draw maps on there as well and write because I need a bigger place, a bigger place to work. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think actually to really break it down, it comes back to this inspiration from Greyhawk because to me, it was such a good way of of showing what a template for a fantasy world could look like. And I've read other fantasy worlds, and I read the Sword Coast book that Wizards put out for 5e when it came out. 
But to me, I go back again to that Greyhawk one because it feels more real. And it has it has this there's details that make sense to me. And the lore, you know, there's great names and there's great characters. And I find many times still that the writing from even 10 years ago was is better than most of the, the modern stuff that I read. Uh, that might sound like a Gen X <laughs> shouting, shouting the kids to get off their lawn. <laughs> but, but that's, uh, that's my, that's how, you know, that's my relationship with it. So one real help for me was having that idea of what it could look like, you know, what the template could look like. So, you know, I really followed that inspiration and, and doing it step by step helped. I, you know, it would have been more, been more challenging if in the beginning I went, okay, I'm going to make a world that's a small planet, has nine continents, you know, on it, there's hundreds of thousands of humanoids and history that goes back 500,000 years. I didn't do it like that. I just made one village and then I made the area nearby and then I made the big city nearby and then that part of the continent. And then I drew the continent and started to build that out. And then, you know, a year or two later, okay, let's build the elf homeland. It can't be very far because, you know, they have to travel by ship and the oceans are very dangerous. So it's going to be nearby. And then it's, it's really grown. And I kept that template of what, you know, I, I published the first mirror book of the first continent. That would have been in 2016, I believe. So it's almost eight years ago that I published the first continent book. And one, in some ways, the bigger challenge actually has been trying to make it fit in a, in a reasonably sized book. Because if I took everything that I had, we're talking, the book could be a thousand pages. I was going to say, <laughs> it could be massive. Yeah. So one thing I decided was I pulled out all the inns and taverns. I'd given every inn and tavern in the world. So that is going to be a separate supplement. Like a supplement. Yeah. And then we'll give a, su- a separate one that goes into the fine detail of the history you know the timelines of of each of these continents so there's some things that we had to decide okay you know what what are the most important things for people to have in that core book and what things can we add later or just won't fit in here because around 150 to 200 pages that's really the max because of the the cost now of printing and shipping. Um, And this is going to be our last big book probably for a while. We have a different kind of template, a different kind of plan we have for the future. You know, I think the big thing that helped, it helps, that has helped is it, it's grown really step by step. I love that. A lot of times I will. So one of the benefits of doing a show like this and, and meeting people like you is that now when I, I go to my students or when my students come to me and they say, so Mr. Gross, I've got this, this world and I really want to like, I, I really want to publish it. I think it's really cool. And I, I've heard that from more kids than I, I ever thought I would, which is great. I mean, I think that's awesome, the ambition. And, and they're always like, so where should I start? And I'm, I'm always kind of like, oh, <laughs> I'm not the person to ask because I had the same ambition when I was a teenager. And I remember diving in big, made, drawing that like world map first. And I love the way you just described it. Instead of starting big, start tiny. So that, I think that's a great piece. So I'm going to direct students to this show to listen to that part because the second thing that I heard you say 
that I think a lot of uh, students don't give a lot of credibility to, or they just don't think about it. Maybe it's not credibility, but they just don't think about it, is I'm going to tell them, you need to read fantasy fiction, Ari Salvatore, Ed Greenwood, things like that. You need to read some of the old source books, as, and I will definitely mention the Greyhawk book now. I guess I'd forgotten about how how good that was. Again, since I didn't own it, I don't know that I picked up on how you know, detailed and and fine that was. But I think the reading aspect for students who are wanting to write is so important. And to hear you say that, that just, that just topped it off. <laughs> it gave me that, the thought that I was like, this is going to be one of the recommended shows for kids to come and listen to. <laughs> or, you know, uh, you know, uh, the teachers that listen to the show, for them to be able to pass that wisdom on to their kids as well. So I appreciate you passing that on. Yeah, I think it's it's huge. I don't think there's anything as important, actually, um, because these also these myths and these archetypes, you know, they never change. They're going to be the same in 100,000 years as they were 10,000 years ago. You know, they're going to be the same. So there's still going to be stories about dragons and wizards and witches. Uh, they just might be called different names. But it will be the same. And the story, there will be a story about evil versus good. It will have, it'll be a different story, but it'll have the same elements. And I think reading these great pieces of work, like, and I, you know, I'm, I'm always rereading Tolkien and I, I'm still absolutely stunned at how incredibly well written it is and how deep it is. But there are many other, there are many other books. The other thing is actually, it actually, as far as how the game works, it makes sense to go step by step. Because for me, when I started with that village, like every campaign, the players are first level. They don't have very much money. They can't even afford a horse. So as the DM, you know how far they can travel, right? They can't go, they can't easily go like 100 miles or 200 miles. So right away, you have a world already that you know they're going to be living in. Once they get horses and later maybe they'll get a, a ship or magic so they can travel further, then you're going to have to have a bigger world. So one of the reasons that the world of Mir grew like that was because that's how the game, mm. that's how the game grew. You know, at first they could travel to the forest nearby and maybe to the next village. And then maybe when, by the time they were third or fourth level, they got horses and they could travel, you know, a few days to the big city, you know, and then we get into the like 10th level, 12th level. Now they're starting to get, actually at that point they got a ship. So now they can sail to much, you know, farther reaches, but they can't sail too far because the oceans are so dangerous. Uh -huh. So there's ways you can, you know, you can keep your world building kind of the size that you want it, right? So part of it, again, was that it grew really organically as part of the game. Yeah, I was just about to ask, was, how much of playing the game or playing in, in the world is going to show up in, in the book itself? Well, definitely, it definitely affected the world, you know, like, so there's been three groups of people who've run through it at different times over the last 10 years or so. And some of those people's characters are now NPCs in the world. And I, you know, I asked, yes. I asked them permission. Yeah, there's definite impacts that their characters have had on the world. And I also found, oh, 
you know, this didn't work very well, or this worked really well. So mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to add that, um, or I'm going to take that out. You know, it didn't start out as a play test. That was not my intention. It was a group of people hanging out on Sunday night, which, <laughs> which it still is. I mean, it was the, actually, it was the players in my first group who said, you should publish this. So yeah, they, all those groups have affected it and all those people have helped mold and change and helped help me figure out, you know, you know, again, what, what, and you know, what people liked, what they didn't like. And I pulled my players. I don't do it that much because I've been doing it for so long. You know, I was DMing. I think my first DMing was maybe in 79 or 80, I think was my first time I ever started doing it. And I did it until about 86 or so. All, like every week as a kid you have <laughs> lots of time that's right and, um, <laughs> sometimes we play more than once a week i don't really pull my players or ask them too many questions in terms of feedback but i do once in a while and i like to see what new things would they like to do what new creatures would they like to you know get involved with those are usually the two things i say is you know what what kind of creatures are you interested in and what kind of world are you interested in and then i so that's helped you know, that's helped develop Mir for sure. And, and the monster books too. Well, if you are listening and you are intrigued about the, the world of Mir, be sure to get on Kickstarter like right now. <laughs> it be, because this is releasing on Tuesday, December 5th, the show is, and it closes what time on the 6th? Is it like a midnight thing or how does that work? It's going to be uh, 9 p.m. Pacific time. So that is 11 p.m. Central next Wednesday and, okay. or on the 6th. That would be midnight Eastern time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So get on there and, and join this Kickstarter because it is, I just know from the work you've done in the past with your monster series, this is going to be an exceptional piece. And just listening to you talk about it gets me excited to crack that book open and start digging into the world of Mirror. And by the way, I wanted to I wanted to mention a an interaction you had with somebody on a social media platform. I don't know where it was. It was a I think it was a woman. She had said, "How do you say this word?" And she said, "Mirror, Meyer, Murr." Right. And I loved your response. Do you do you remember that? <laughs> Well, a few people have asked uh, because Mirror is like a little bit more known now and in the Kickstarter, there's people following it. So I probably would have said, uh, which I've said to a few people, is that, um, you know, I pronounce it Mirror. It's spelled M-Y-R-R. -R. At the same time, as far as I'm concerned, any pronunciation is fine, mainly because of my experience when I don't know for I don't know a name for sure I come up with the best version and again a greyhawk example there's a, an evil creature in a land spelled i u z and all the years when I was a kid playing D&D I pronounced that ayas and I loved it I loved that sound I thought that sounded like this evil creature and his land and it had this ominous tone to it and then a few years ago, I learned that actually Gary Gygax intended it to be Ia's, or that's what he used. Oh. I decided I'm not changing <laughs> because I liked Ia's way better. So that's what I yeah. that's what I tell most people is, you know, your pronunciation is fine. Um, yeah. And then actually today we were asking people, you know, you know what do you think Mir means? Because some people have asked, why, why Mir? Why that oh. name? It's 
And so the, the answer is actually there is no reason. <laughs> the answer is it just came to me, the spelling and the sound. And I just, I just, I, I just loved it right away. And it actually helped me decide what the language and the words were going to be like in the, in the human worlds. So that there's that combination of letters similar to Mir in many different kinds of names. And it, to me, it goes back to sort of old English a bit where, you know, you spell fairy, F-A-E-R-I-E, which is the one that we always use. So I like hearkening back to kind of that old English. And I like, you know, the language, again, making sense, like there's some roots to it and some connections. So, you know, the real answer is because I like the name and I like the sound. But the incredible thing is that Mir means so many things in other languages. and I knew that it was close to myrrh. I always liked the name myrrh too. Mm. So myrrh, the uh, fragrance that's mentioned in the Bible, and it's used to actually cleanse priests or areas or um, inter- for, well, cleansing them of evil, but also preparing them for what's to come and even preparing them uh, mythologically to fight against evil. So mm. I, I, I love that idea. And then one day a person told me, I have several backers from different places and a person from Russia said actually we say mir in Russia and that means world. Oh. <laughs> and I had that's a complete coincidence. Wow. That's why they named their spacecraft the Mir spacecraft. Oh, that makes sense. Ah. Yeah. Would not have so made I had so that that might have been psych, you know, psych, you know, it might have been in my mind. The other thing I kind of chuckle at is that Around the time I was making Mir, I'd met my wife, who wasn't my wife at that time. And her surname has some similarity to Mir. Is that right? You know, I always chuckle to her and tell her, you know, that, you know, she is the inspiration for this world, even though I didn't do it consciously. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. I love it. I want to transition now over to your monster series a little bit. We've talked about it before on the show, but as I mentioned, this is December and we are highlighting different products from the role-playing world. Last week, we did a show on our top three. We talked to Adam Watson from Kentucky and he and, and Dan and I shared three three things that we think would be good to get a, a teacher that's looking to start a RPG group in their school or in their classroom. And so today I want to talk about your monster series, because I think this is just a fantastic series. I, again, I don't own all of them, but I have three of them. And I just, I love the three books that I have of those. And so I wanted to give you a chance to sort of highlight some of the, the different, the, the differences between the books how they've evolved over the years. Because I noticed some things in the Monsters of the Dungeon book that I don't think are in the others that I have. Just some little tiny details that I think are super cool. So I'm just going to give you the platform. Sell, sell your monster series. I think, <laughs> I think it's great, and I want to hear about it. All right. So yes, the monster series, which was originally for fifth edition. And if you play 5e, all the stat blocks are built like that. What we've done now is we have actually conversion tables for the stat blocks so that you can use these books for many different systems. And it began with Monsters of Feyland. So that was about, about seven years ago now, six, seven years ago. And that book was a very straightforward 
here are a hundred monsters, pretty much a hundred pages. A number of those creatures are inspired by folklore and it's creatures that you could use in a Feyland, like a fairy sort of world or any kind of forested area. And the creatures also could be used in other ways. There's lots of very mischievous kind of creatures. And we had a big range. All the books have a range of very low creatures to very powerful creatures. And it was the first book that we'd worked with with Travis. And so we had the same artist for every single art piece. And I think that was one of the reasons these books have actually done so well. So that was our starting point, Feyland. We decided we always like to try to do something new. So that our, the, the next trip was into the underworld. So very different, definitely inspired by the D1 to 3 adventures in the 80s from TSR. And so this is a world filled with dwarves and orcs and drow. And we added our own elements of giants, fungi creatures. And this book was much darker than Feyland. And we added a few little features like flora. We had some of that in Feyland too, but this time we expanded on it. And for the first time, we started to build a story through the whole book that you could see connections to the land and the creatures. That was the first time we started to do that. And we also, this book was also still an A to Z structure. The next book was a huge change. We have a new person in to do the layout. So I think the layout for Monsters of the City went to another level. We also decided we're going to actually structure this book so it can be easier for game masters because we're going to have seven chapters based on seven different districts of the city. And then Travis, the artist, said, hey, we've got seven districts. Let's use the seven deadly sins and tie that in. (laughs) And I said, that's a great idea, but I always like to have a balance in these books. So how about we also include the virtues as well? So in each district, you have each uh, virtue and sin as a monster, and then a group of monsters that are somewhat related to that theme in, in that district. You know, there's one around greed, and many of those creatures are related to greed or, or the opposite um, virtue. So that was a big change. And I think that book really became more of, it wasn't just a monster book. This was a campaign book, mm-hmm. 100% a campaign book. And we gave way more resources, like encounter tables and, you know, these special pages about each district of what you could find there. Then we wanted to, again, we wanted to change things up. So we decided, hey, this time we're going to go to the wilderness. And we've just been in the city. We're going to go into the wilderness where everything is possible. And this book is the most connected to Mir. Again, mostly because you got out into the wilderness where there's more monsters. And we could have huge creatures. And where the city, it didn't make sense for us to have giant monsters running around. You know, that that wouldn't really be a functioning city. So we have our wilderness book. We structured it again with seven chapters for different regions of the wilderness. Then we decided people have loved Feyland. We're not finished with it. We really need a a campaign book. So we made Feyland 2, Monsters of Feyland 2. But this time we made a campaign book with seven regions of Feyland. And we tied it back to the original book. And it was our most fey like and artistic and in some ways lighter book 
although it has some dark elements, it was a very big contrast to what we'd done. So then the last monster book, which comes out in January, we decided the dungeon book, we're going to, again, make a big change. The Feyland 2 book was a quite feminine book in some ways and very, again, fairies and mischievous creatures and playful. And so we wanted to go back to the beginnings of D&D into a dungeon crawl with seven different kinds of dungeons, lots of dangerous monsters, lots of like brawny monsters and kind of more in your face and also strange aberrations, you know, like things that... You know, I I really love the Beholder and those really bizarre creatures that came at the beginning of D&D, the Mind Flayer. And so we we took inspiration from that as well. So now we have, we think, a really pretty comprehensive series with quite different books. I think they're magnificent. And you can, where can people purchase these? You mentioned the most recent one doesn't release until uh, January. Yeah. But all the others are available now. And where can people go to get those? Um, you can go to our website at worldofmere.com or at Drive RPG and just search for Kaywood. Okay. Want to make sure that people know where to do that because I don't want them to miss anything. Now, since I, since I did the Kickstarter on your uh, Monsters of the Dungeon, can I talk about some of the things that I really liked about that? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know since it doesn't actually come out in physical form until January, but I wanted to, first of all, one of the things that I that both Dan and I have always appreciated about your books are the names that you give some of your monsters. And so I'm can I just read a list that I put together as I was reading? That I, was yeah, just, sure. I was chuckling and my daughter's doing her homework next to me. She goes, what is so funny? And I said, look at this. And she looked up and the, the character that I had out was uh, Shady Characters. Right. <laughs> uh, shady characters. And then you've got uh, Knickknack. And on the next page is, or I think it's Hobnob. And then the next page is Knickknack. Yeah. Um, I like the Mr. White. The, right. And, and it's W I G H T. Yeah, that's right. great. That's a good uh, one just, for your daughter to be warned about. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we have the, uh, the Scarecase, which was phenomenal. Yeah. I like yeah. that one. And then I, I play in a game with a lawyer, and I think I may have to throw out there the uh, the statue of limitations uh, because the, he would probably appreciate that. And then, yeah. of course, there's the pillar of the community. And then I, I particularly like this one because I read this book. Well, not the name, but I read this book, and it was probably one of the hardest books I've ever read in my life. And that right. was uh, not this portrait of a young adventurer, but I read yeah. portrait of a young man as an artist. Yes. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's funny. Actually, I had both inspirations. I also found that one of the most difficult books I ever read, but it's also an allusion to the portrait of uh, the young artist, which is a famous painting. And I actually, ah. if you read carefully in that bio, um, I actually included some elements of that true story. Okay. Of what happened to that painting because it was oh. stolen in World War II. Okay. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So a couple of the things that I really liked about this book is that each dungeon uh, component has a hero that you give us. And that here, what here's what I really like. This is the first thing I said to Dan when I when I looked at this PDF is what I liked best about the heroes is they were very attainable for most campaigns that you're running. You didn't give these heroes like massive stats where it's like, 
okay, I can't really play that with this group of third level characters or player. You know, everybody is like, looked like they were about anywhere from third to fifth level. Most of the heroes were. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was, I thought that was super cool. It was a nice, nice touch. Another super nice uh, detail that I really enjoyed in here is that every single monster, every single monster has three quest ideas, which magnifique. I love that. I absolutely love that. And then the last thing that I have, I have to say about the Monsters of the Dungeon is that you pay homage to the Dungeon Master. The very last person in the book I believe it's right before you get to the conversion tables, or maybe there's some appendices first and then the conversion table, but you have the master of the dungeons. And as I looked a little bit closer, I was like, okay, this really is the master of the dungeons because <laughs> statistically he is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, truly he would be, or she would be, or they would be, of course. It was, it's magnificent. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. Well, the master, the dungeon master, to a certain degree, he's in, it's the idea of creating a character like the dungeon master that was in the 80s cartoon. So to a certain degree, it's about that. If you, if you look carefully, too, he doesn't have a lot of abilities that can harm. He has some, but most of the abilities are not about harming. They're about protection and illusion and traveling and it is supposed to be a creature that you could use in your game or you could have sort of as a, a watcher over the party. You know, they, they could almost be like their patron. There's many ways that you could include this, this sort of creature. And there was, a, there was a definite reason why we put him in the last. He was the, he's the last monster you see. It's not in alphabetical order. He's the one that doesn't fit. It might be our last monster book in the series. So that was another reason I wanted to put it there. And again, this book is really an homage to, to what I think is like the true game, the original game in terms of being a dungeon crawl and being very in your face, you know, the real core elements to me of the game. And that has to be, the dungeon master has to be a part of that. It, yeah. it actually came to me much later in the process. Like mm. it really came to me almost at the end. I went, I should put a dungeon master in here. The idea with the heroes too was to make them relatable and they're not perfect and they're 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 not all human but they're they're human in terms of their their re, you know their sort of relatability and that was the idea. And if you look too this book has more action in the illustrations than ever before and in the writing there's more action, there's more things going on. So that was done intentionally too because like this, you know, in one way it's a campaign book, but it's also like you could read this this whole book and it's an adventure that you can read about. It's it's a story in itself, the book itself, without even playing the game. I think that's absolutely amazing. The work that you do on these uh, all these books are just entertaining, but useful in the game as well. Andrew, as always, it's been wonderful visiting with you tonight and hearing about the Wear of the Mirror and the Kickstarter that's coming out that I'm super excited to see how that ends up when it closes. Because it's almost, as of this recording, about a week prior, we are looking at 
I think I saw a post this morning about 89% or so, uh, maybe a little higher even. And so that that's really exciting to me. And of course, I'm one of those that procrastinates. So I'll be the one on the last, very last day in there. So, sorry about that. <laughs> I'm the one that makes you sweat. I work with teenagers. I have to procrastinate. <laughs> so, well, it has been wonderful visiting with you as always. Where can people follow you? Where can we people come and learn more about Kaywood Publishing and get news of things that are coming out with you? Sure. So we're we're on all the social media platforms. We have that website, worldofmere.com. Uh, we're on X as Kaywood Publish. We're on Instagram as Kaywood Publishing. Facebook, it's World of Mere. Blue Sky, Kaywood Publishing. So, and YouTube as well now. We have a YouTube channel as well where we have some reviews of our books and we'll have one up there soon about Monsters of the Dungeon because the proof, the hardcover proof of the first book is in the mail from the United States and will arrive any day. So we'll have a video once that gets here of that. There are lots of places you can find us and we actually also have a new Discord as well. Okay, very good. Well, Andrew, thank you so much and uh, I'd like to wish you happy holidays. And a happy new year to you. Can't wait to see what you've got coming in 2024. You too, Tom. And thanks for uh, letting me visit in the dungeon. Absolutely. And so for everyone else, I hope you are enjoying your holiday season. And as you're out there shopping, and hopefully you're not dealing with too much ice and snow yet, don't forget to keep rolling those 20s. So long, folks. That wraps up today's session. So thank you for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate you and your feedback. Until the next time we see you in the dungeon, we hope you roll high on those saving throws. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear what happens in the adventure, subscribe to the podcast. Have questions, thoughts, or ideas? Check the show notes for our website and our contact information. This podcast is not affiliated or endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, or any other third-party Dungeons & Dragons entity. Teachers in the Dungeon is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders in the U.S. or abroad. The official Dungeons & Dragons website can be found at www.dnd.wizards.com.